it's Friday night and it's time to go racing with Three Valleys Radio. We've got all the usual gang here, trainers, jockeys, ex-jockeys, tipsters, they're all here. pens and papers handy and hopefully we can give you some tips Good evening and welcome to the show. Let's get started straight away with all the news from Mike Patton. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Racing News. With all the news that is the news from the racing media, which includes Racing TV, the Racing Post and the Sporting Life. I'm Mike Patton and here's this week's first story. Racing has lost one of the biggest names in the sport's history following the death of Lester Piggott at the age of 86. Piggott, who died peacefully in Switzerland on Sunday morning, having been in hospital recently, was known throughout the world after a hugely successful riding career that lasted the best part of 50 years and remained Britain's most famous jockey long after he quit the saddle. That was in part due to the longevity that allowed him to ride a phenomenal 4,493 winners, the third highest tally in British racing history behind only Sir Gordon Richards and Pat Eddery and an amazing big race hall. He won the derby a record nine times, including on 1970 Triple Crown winner Nijinsky. And it also owed something to the way a man nicknamed the Longfellow and was five foot eight inches tall, fought to ride at 30 pounds below his natural body weight and his uncanny knack of getting out of trouble on and off course. Most famously, when he returned from retirement and a spell in prison to win the Breeders' Cup Mile on Royal Academy at the age of 54 in 1990. Piggott was as well bred for the job as the choice horses he rode. His grandfather Ernie rode three Grand National winners and Father Keith won the champion hurdle as a jockey and the national as a trainer. He rode his first winner at the age of just 12 on the chase at Haydock in 1948 and the triple champion apprentice won his first derby at 18 on Never Say Die in 1954. Piggott was champion jockey 11 times between 1960 and 1982 and scored a record 30 British Classic wins, many for legendary Irish trainer Vincent O'Brien. Having initially retired in 1985, his training career was cut short by the conviction for tax fraud that earned him a year in prison and he rode on for another four seasons after his shock return to the saddle. Piggott's former weighing room colleague Willie Carson paid tribute to the legendary rider, describing him as, quote, magical on top of a horse. Carson said, Lester was an iconic figure in the racing industry and changed the way things were done from his early days until he retired. 
Most jockeys were better off for his endeavours, as we all had to up our game because of him. He was magical on top of a horse. He had this confidence about him and didn't care what people were going to think about him. He just got on and did what he thought was the right thing on a horse, and it normally was. He had an empathy for the animal and knew what a horse was thinking. He knew what a horse wanted, be it tough, soft, holding up or using his stride, and he always seemed to get it right. Carson shared an insight into what Piggott was like in the weighing room and said he had a caring side beyond his aura. He said, Lester walked about with an aura about him and he was always in charge. Everyone looked up to him and watched him. He was also a very caring man. If a jockey sustained injury and ended up in hospital, he would be one of the few to turn up and visit them. Carson added, We had battles galore over the years, and I look back with such fond memories. John Gosden described Piggott as extraordinary and totally unique, adding, We'll never be another one like him. Gosden said, Lester was an extraordinarily and totally unique man and jockey. I first knew him well in the 1970s when he was riding for Sir Noel Merlis and Vincent O'Brien. They listened to and savoured everything he said, which could be quite minimalistic. They certainly admired his race riding and his feel for a horse on the gallops. He was famous for changing work instructions to suit himself to find out more, but that was typical Lester, who was always a rule unto himself. There'll never be another one like him. Fellow Newmarket trainer Sir Michael Stout said, Lester was a genius on a horse and rode me my first winner, which was Sandal and Newmarket in a tight finish. He later won the Irish Derby on Shergar and the 2,000 guineas on Shadid for us when Walter Swinburne was suspended. Now, here on the Racing News, looking worldwide, here's Lester by the numbers. Lester Piggott's greatness transcended statistics, but he accumulated some of the most important records for a British jockey. Notably, the most wins in a career, the most British classics, that's 30, and the most derbies, which is nine. Now, most wins in a career. Piggott won a career total of about 5,300 races throughout the world between 1948 and 1995, which is a record for a British jockey. It is impossible to give a precise figure because he rode winners in more than 30 countries and no one, at least of all the man himself, bothered to keep count. Piggott gained 4,493 of those victories on the flat in Britain and another 20 over the hurdles. That puts him third to Sir Gordon Richards on 4,870, who rarely rode abroad, and Irishman Pat Eddery on 4,633 on the all-time list of jockeys who have won the most races in Britain. Most classic wins. Piggott won 30 British classics between 1954, that's never say dies Derby, and 1992, the Rodrigo de Triano's 2,000 guineas, it is his greatest record, and one that may stand for all time. Those 30 victories comprise 9 in a derby, 8 in the St Ledger, 6 in the Oaks, 5 in the 2,000 guineas, and 2 in the 1,000 guineas. His most productive classic partnerships were with trainers Vincent O'Brien, where he had 9 wins, and Noel Merlis, where he had 7 wins. 
The previous classic record was 27 by Frank Buckle between 1792 and 1827. And most Derby wins. The Master of Epsom won the Derby nine times between 1954 on Never Say Die and 1983 Tinoso. The previous record of six was held by Jim Robinson and Steve Donoghue. Most wins in other races. Piggott won a record 116 races at Royal Ascot between 1952 and 1993. Among them were a record 11 Ascot Gold Cups, easily beating the record of six wins in the race by Jim Robinson and his own great-grandfather Tom Cannon. He also won the King George VI and Queen Elizabeth Stakes a record seven times. Greatest Rides it was almost inevitable that when we conducted a poll of Racing Post readers in 2007 to determine the 100th greatest rides of all time, Piggott was the jockey represented by the most rides. That was eight. Second on the list was the 54-year-old Breeders' Cup Mile on Royal Academy in 1990, and his other entries in the top ten were The Minstrel in the 1977 Derby and Roberto in the 1972 Derby. And next up, here on the Racing News. The 2020 flat season is well underway and it is full steam ahead to next month's Epsom Classics, the Kazoo Derby and the Kazoo Oaks. Market movers come thick and fast as the key classic trials are run in Britain and Ireland. But big race contenders can come from anywhere and it's easy to miss a potential dark horse. Here's a recap of Saturday's news and how it has impacted the classic betting while we mark your card with some key names to note on Sunday. Saturday Roundup. Rogue Millennium supplemented as Oaks Field cut to 12. Yes, Rogue Millennium has entered the Kazoo Oaks pitcher and is one of the 12 that remain in contention for the race on June 3rd after she was supplemented for the Epsom Classic at the six-day forfeit stage. Pre-Son Allery runner above the curve, Outsiders, Life of Dreams, History, Emotion and Ottilian were among the six not confirmed as the field was reduced from 18 on Saturday. Tom Clover, who trains the daughter of Dubawi, had previously discussed the possibility of an Oaks entry after she took the Lingfield Oaks trial earlier this month. Now the trainer will be hoping his unbeaten filly follows the same route as Annapurna, who won that race before going on to land the Oaks in 2019. Meanwhile, John and Thady Gosden continue to have a stranglehold of the top of the market, as well as the fancied Emily Upjohn and Nashua remain. However, Ballydoyle trainer Aidan O'Brien has a number of chances to land his 10 success in the Phillies Classic as he saddles Concert Hall, Tuesday, Thoughts of June and the Algarve on Friday. Here are the market movers. In the Kazoo Oaks, with the Moonlight is 8-1 to one from 9, Tuesday 7-1 to one from 8 and Tranquil Lady 12-1 to one from 16. In the Kazoo Derby, Desert Crown is six to four from fifteen to eight, and Nation's Pride is six to one from seven. Now these prices, of course, are correct at time of recording. Tom Clover, trainer of Rogue Millennium, says she looks to have come on for her run at Lingfield, and they are very sporting owners, the Rogues Gallery. So it's great to have a crack at it. I see that she's twelve to one, fourteen to one chance, and I think she deserves her chance. 
a daughter of Dubawi, from a great family of Sheikh Hamdan Al-Kantoums. So roll on Friday, he says. It's very exciting. Now the field for Saturday's Kazoo Derby will start to take shape as we approach the six-day forfeit stage for the race on June the 4th. The devastating Dante winner Desert Crown still heads the market for the Epsom Classic and continues to shorten in a bid to provide trainer Sir Michael Stout a sixth victory in the contest. Charlie Appleby has made his intentions clear about supplementing Nation's pride, so expect to see him among the field. Most likely along Stablemates, Walk of Stars and Nahani. Aidan O'Brien holds his usual strong hand as the Classic draws ever closer. He currently has five runners entered, with impressive Leopardstown Derby trial winner Stone Age and Chester Vars winning Changing of the Guard, the strongest two in the market. But it will be interesting to see who remains. And a quick look at the markets. For the Kazoo Oaks at 4.30 Epsom, June the 3rd, Skybet have Emily Upjohn at 10 to 11, Nashua 9 to 2, Concert Hall and Tuesday at 7 to 1, with the Moonlight at 8 to 1, Tranquil Lady 12 to 1, Thoughts of June at 20 and 33 bar. Kazoo Derby at 4.30 Epsom on June the 4th. Paddy Power have Desert Crown 6 to 4, Stone Age 7 to 2, Nation's Pride 6 to 1, Pisba Deal and Changing of the Guard at 9 to 1, 14 is United Nations, 16 Walk of Stars, Westover and Star of India and 20 bar. And our next story here on the Racing News. For the third time in four days, racegoers were left shortchanged after a meeting failed to reach its conclusion due to concerns over safety of the track. After racing at Beverley was abandoned on last Wednesday after four races, and last Friday's evening fixture at Haydock suffered the same fate after just two races due to horses slipping, Chester was forced to abandon after four races when humanitarian slipped and fell on the home turn in the seven and a half furlong handicap. Both rider Luke Catton and the horse walked away apparently unscathed from the incident, but with rider Steve Donahue also reporting his horse to have slipped in the same race, a delegation of officials, riders and trainers inspected the course and the decision was taken to abandon the meeting. Clerk of the course, Andrew Tullock, said, The stewards held an inquiry with the jockeys following an incident in the last race. After consulting with the jockeys, the safety representatives and the race course, it was concluded that the meeting should be abandoned due to concerns in the last race. A horse slipped on the home bend. We had a look at it and carried out a full inspection as is the procedure through BHA guidelines and the stewards came to the conclusion to abandon. Asked why he thought the incident might have occurred, Tullock said, I don't know. It's too early to say. We've done a lot of extra work on that bend aerating it and doing work before this meeting. It hasn't happened with me here before. I've had a lot of experience at Chester, having been here previously, and Charles Barnett, who is a director here, has not experienced it either, and we've got a very experienced head groundsman. It's very disappointing for everyone, and we've just got to assess it and see what we can do differently, and try to make sure, of course, that it doesn't happen again. Tullock, previously clerk of the course at Aintree, described it as unheard of for three tracks to abandon for the same reason within four days, but stressed that safety was paramount. He added, It's incredibly disappointing to everyone here and watching, but the safety of the horses and riders has to come first. It has to be the right thing to do, but yes, it is deeply disappointing.
Racegoers were allowed to stay at the track until after the scheduled race had due to be run, but with four races taking place, the track said they would not be issuing any compensation. It's disappointing, said Chester racegoer Mark Hallows. On the basis that it's the racecourse's job to keep the track in the right condition, it shouldn't have happened, really. I think they've obviously made a slip-up. That's my position, and that's why it's disappointing, because it probably could have been avoided with a little more skill and care. If it's their mistake, race covers probably should be compensated. Ian Cox from Warrington added, After Haydock yesterday, I can't understand the situation, and this is very frustrating. The way I see it, this should be perfect ground for a summer meeting. So why is it being abandoned? Whose responsibility is it? I've been to Chester for so many years, and every year it's exactly the same. It's summer, and it's brilliant weather. We spent a lot of money today, and we've missed three races. I don't think it's great. Senior rider PJ MacDonald was among those to inspect the track and explained how the riders had lost confidence in the track, leaving no other option but to call the meeting off. The ground was lovely, he said. It was beautiful ground with moisture in it, but the sun was shining and it's breezy, and the ground was drying out throughout the day, and it was getting worse. We had two slip in that race, and we just had no confidence in the bend. There's no way we could be confident going into that bend that nothing was going to happen. I do think they've done everything they can, but it's just one of those things. It's getting very frustrating now, because when things like this happen, the majority of people are very good. But there are people who say, it's the jockeys, they don't want to ride, which is absolute, now I'll change the word here, but rubbish. It's our lives that are at stake, he continued. I've got two kids at home, and I don't want to be the guinea pig to test out and see if the sand works. We've got to be confident in the tracks. It's been a frustrating week, and I'd like to think riders who didn't have rides because it was abandoned would get something. Trainer Mark Lufnane, who had declared winners in cancelled races at both Chester and Haydock, thought the drying conditions had caused the problem on this occasion. He said, It was lovely moist ground at the start of the meeting, and the sun and wind has dried it out and just made it slippy on top. The jockeys weren't 100% on it, and they're riding it, not us. Chester Chief Executive Louis Stewart added, We're obviously very disappointed, but it's the right decision if there are question marks over safety to abandon racing. Because it's after the fourth race, it is not a refundable offer that we will make. We're leaving the site open so people can continue to enjoy a great atmosphere. This has been the Racing News. With all the news that is news from the racing media, including Racing TV, the Racing Post and the Sporting Life. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Padden, and join us again next time. Well, there's only one place to go racing this weekend, and we all know where that is, because it's the time for the derby at Epsom, and uh, uh, I'm sure that most of you are going to be heading in that direction, although I'm sure those of you that can't will be going racing somewhere else. So let's just have a look and see exactly where we can go this weekend. We can start with seven races over the jumps at Worcester with a 110 start. Seven races over on the flat. Seven races on the flat. Where, oh my God. Seven races on the flat at Doncaster with a 121 start. Seven races over the jumps at Hexham, 130 start. Seven races on the flat at Musselburgh, 136 start. Seven races on the flat at Epsom, which of course includes the Derby with a two o'clock start.
seven races over the flat at Chepstow with a 5.30 start and seven races on the flat on the all-weather at Lingfield. And then Sunday, now, as we've already said, it's the Derby this weekend and of course the uh, the meeting starts on Thursday at Epsom but Saturday is the big day for the Derby and we shall be having some expert analysis of the race from Simon Holt from The Sporting Life and also Richard Phillips. So uh, that'll be coming your way fairly shortly on the show. Well, as you know, we uh, do interviews with jockeys and sports people generally on Three Valleys Radio and uh, I recently interviewed Noel Feely and Noel told me a little bit about how he got started as a national home jockey. So moving on then, you know, you started uh, started racing, uh, doing point-to-points. At what age did you get into point-to-points? Um, well, I think you have, you have to be 16 to get an amateur license. Um, and I'd say, I'd say I probably got an amateur license probably as soon as I turned 16, um, or certainly soon after anyway, I'd imagine. I don't, I don't exactly know. Um, but I would have been 16, 17, like something like that, when I got my amateur license. Um, <coughs> and rode point to point you know, straight away from there. And um, I think I rode a winner probably in my fifth or sixth ride uh, in point to point. So I think I rode a winner from my from my neighbour, Ned Barrett. He was a, was a good man. He helped me out along the way. And, um, uh, yeah, I think that was, that was my first ride. And I probably was only maybe 16 or 17 at that time, yeah. What did that feel like? Can you remember the the buzz? Oh yeah, that was that was amazing because there was some you know some good amateurs riding at that time, um, and um, yeah, to win to win that was yeah amazing. Well, if you get I don't know if you get the crowds over there, but I mean the crowds that we get down in the West Country here for point to points is usually quite a lot of people come to watch it. Yeah, I know you. Final points in Ireland are a big thing, um, probably a bigger. Final points in Ireland are probably bigger than the English final points in that it's a bit of a business in Ireland. You know, you'd have people would run their best four-year-olds and best five-year-olds mm. in point of points, and then they, a lot of them are sold on to the UK or you know a lot of them are staying in Ireland now, I suppose. But that's kind of the, the shop window in Ireland for a lot of the young horses and. A lot of money changes hands for them, so it's a big it's a big business in Ireland. Yeah, well, it certainly seems you know you you see people, names like uh, Paul Nichols is always buying you know sensible horses yeah. from Ireland and and they, and then putting his touch to them, and they suddenly become real world beaters. So I, I don't doubt that yes, for one minute. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so moving on, then you in in two thousand and one you became the conditional jockeys jump jockeys champion. Um, now yes. that must have been you know again. A major sort of point in your in your career. Yeah, it was because I came to the UK. Obviously, I went to Charlie Mann, and Charlie Mann was probably just getting his numbers going a little bit, and um, you know, wouldn't have been considered a big enough yard for a jockey, you know, a young conditional to be attached or to be to have the firepower behind him to be champion conditional. Um, yeah. So. You know, I wouldn't have fancied my chances of being champion conditional at the start of the season because, you know, uh, Philip Hobbs was always very good at producing good conditionals. Um, and then obviously have plenty of support. He'd have a lot of horses to support them with. Um, the Paul Nicholses, the Nicky Hendersons. Um, they'd have a lot of horses to support their conditionals. Whereas 
I was uh, with a smaller stable. Charlie was getting bigger at the time. Um, but when I, when I started with him, he probably had about 30 horses in comparison to, you know, the Paul Nicholas would have had 100 plus. Yeah. The Nicky Henderson's would have 100 plus. The Philip Hobbs's. And normally their conditions would have been champion conditions. Um, so to do it from a f- small stable was a, um, was a you know, great achievement, yeah. I've just finished reading um, uh, Graham Bradley's uh, autobiography. And, you know, you really get to, to sort of into what it was, what it must have been like for you guys, especially, you know, when you first started and, you know, you, you go into the stable and you're, you're the sort of uh, the stooge, as it were, and you get lumbered with all the lousy jobs and what have you. Did you find that as well when you started? Yeah, you do. But then I was so hungry. I wanted it so badly. I didn't care what anyone asked me to do. I would do it. And I was... I used to love the mornings because um, I, I was based in Lambourne with Charlie Mann. Right. And I'd love, I used to love the mornings riding out. And you'd see the likes of Graham Bradley riding out, who was, you know, he was a hero of mine, like brilliant jockey to watch in the mm. morning schooling. Or um, Mick Fitzgerald, Richard Dunwoody came in a few times. You know, I see, see them great jockeys in the morning. Like I was just obsessed by it. And I, you know, it was. It wasn't. Wasn't really work to me. It was. Yeah. It was just. It was like, I don't know, like like a young lad going to watch Cristiano Ronaldo or something. I was just. I was just in awe of the whole thing, and it was. It wasn't really work to me. It was. Sort of, I was sort of a bit of a, a bit obsessed by it all. I suppose. That's where you and I would would, would differ, really, because I can't see anything good about getting up at five o'clock in the morning, but still, <laughs> not on a cold yeah, morning like today know. or something. <laughs> but it didn't, um, didn't bother me too much. No, well, obviously you were you were totally sort of single minded on it, and and it's a necessary part, isn't it? That's the point. But oh, um, yeah, exactly. And I say it to every young lad now: if you if you're not, you have to be one hundred percent in it. You can't be. You can't be half in or half out. You have to be a hundred percent in it uh, and give it a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, it's warm work. And you know, and I think when you look at look at some of your contemporaries, you know, Tony McCoy, Barry Geraghty. I mean, Tony McCoy is just just unbelievable with the number of winners he's had. But Richard Dunwoody is another one. You know, Peter Skidmore. They've yeah. all obviously got that element within them, haven't they? And just as you have. Because uh, I mean, yeah, do, yeah. Do you know how many winners you actually had yourself over the the whole of your career? Uh, I've heard a couple of different, uh, but I know it was around. I know it was around thirteen hundred and fifty-three, fifty-five, something like that. Oh, so, that's yeah. yeah, that's getting on with it, isn't it? Really. Um, yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah. So uh, in two thousand and five, it says here. You became second jockey yeah. to John Joe O'Neill at the same time as riding for yes. training Charlie Mann. Uh, what was that like? Because John Joe obviously must have been a bit of a hero to you as well, I imagine. Yeah, like probably one, of, he was probably one of the people that, you know, I'll never forget uh, rushing home from school and watching um, John Joe ride Don Run to win the Gold Cup. That's probably my earliest memory of watching racing on TV. Yeah. Um, watching John Joe win on Don win the Gold Cup on Don Run. Yeah. So um, to be riding for John Joe was obviously a massive, a massive thing for me. And um, 
you know, probably something when I was younger, I never thought I would do right for so for for a hero like John John O'Neill. But um, yeah, that was that was amazing. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, were you to realise that three years' time you were going to get your first Chapman Festival winner? Yes, it took long enough, but um, yeah, it did. I went to the festival actually with a couple. I went there with a couple of chances. I thought horses that could could win. And they all bombed out, and then I was it was a three day festival then, of course, uh, as well. Mm. Um, last last day, last ride, uh, last race on the last day, county hurl, and um, I was on a fifty to one shot, and uh, it popped up. So yeah, brilliant. This, that was Silver Jarrow, was it? Silver Jarrow, yeah, from yeah. Tom Hogan, yeah. Yeah. Well, that was now ex jockey, Mister Noel the sad news that Lester Piggott passed away on Sunday has prompted numerous tributes to the great man and uh, our Colin Brown had some dealings with Lester and this is his memories of him. When I first got, sort of got into horse racing when I was about well, interested when I was about 12, 13, 14 years old, you know, that's when um, he was uh, he was riding obviously um, back in the day for Vincent O'Brien, Sir Noel Merlis and Cecil and everybody. And just riding some great horses. I mean, he was just a terrific jockey. He could just look at one, sit on one. You know, you may have read sort of uh, lots of tributes to him. You know, he'd get on a horse and he just have to look at it, get on it very uh, easily. He, you know, his leg up, it was just like, you know, the, the trainer or whatever would put their hand on his shin just to give him a leg in the saddle. Boom, he'd be up there. He had so much sort of, you know, balance and he was just knew his job inside there. He was just a great, great rider. And he'd ride a horse at the start and he'd, you know, get to know exactly what sort of ground, whether it would be acting on the track and all those things. He was just the best judge really. I mean he wrote nine Derby winners. He was just incredible. Um and I think my favourite horse that he used to ride uh, was Nijinsky of course. And Nijinsky what a fantastic horse he was. I think he got beaten in the art by Sassafras Nijinsky, um, if I remember rightly. But um, And that was his old man, uh, his old mate, I say, Yves Samatan, who rode him. And they were just great buddies in the weighing room and out having a, you know, a little glass or something and a cigar. But in a race, you know, they were fighters. And yeah. that's what Lester was really. I mean, he was just brilliant. And, of course, you know, his daughter's... Um, his, his daughter, one of his daughters, Maureen's married to William Haggis, who's such a good trainer. And, um, you know, he's just, just a great family. In fact, I have got a picture of him, maybe. I've got a picture at home of him sat on a box in some allotments near where I live um, <laughs> with with one of his relations, because he, he was actually born along the... Uh, he was born in Lambourne, but he lived along the sort of terrace for a while, where I bought my very first house many many years ago, near mid seventies, I suppose. But um, yeah, no, great great fella, wasn't he? What a great fella! And uh, he re- really is, uh, you know, he'll be long remembered and uh, well respected. Lovely guy. And of course, he rode his first winner when he was twelve years old. I mean, that wouldn't happen in these days, would it? No, God, you can't leave school now till you're sixteen or eighteen or something. Yeah. But yeah, quite amazing. Twelve twelve years old, but I mean. Don't quote me, but I mean, I think his grandfather won the national three times. His dad won the national and the champion hurdle. 
And I mean, he he rode in the champion hurdle, and he rode over jumps quite a bit. But like Ryan Moore, really, he rode over jumps. His first winner um, professionally uh, or on a professional track was in a hurdle race at Toaster. Yeah. But um, you know, for all the jockeys that rode with him, remembered him. You know, obviously, we've just lost Jimmy Lindley recently and Joe Mercer. But you know, jockeys like uh, Woody Carson remember him so well riding with him because they, you know, where they rode with him. Yeah. Um, Victoria was a good mate of his, um, rode with him in his early days. And, uh, you know, I remember Lester just looked after like a king in horse racing circles around the world. And I remember he used to come to Hong Kong for the international races at Christmas, just before Christmas. And, um, Everybody say Lester's here. Lester's arrived, and you know he picked up for his, the airport and a, you know, chauffeur-driven Rolls Royce or Mercedes or whatever it might be. And he'd be taken to the very best hotel where he would be put up by his friends and uh, Hong Kong Jockey Club, whatever it might be. And then he'd go racing, and he, you know, he'd be wandering around the racing, the races in Hong Kong, just you know, looking awesome himself, getting away from all the people that really wanted to be. In, in entertaining him, he would just you know sneak off from them, and of course uh, years ago um, he used to ride Desert Orchid when Desert Orchid retired, and he used to ride him at the race course sometimes, and he took his son along on a pony once or twice, and they did a parade, and he rode him a few times, you know, at these sort of charity <coughs> events, and when, when I uh, saw him in Hong Kong once. I was dying to ask him about, like, the mint store, about on parade and no-so, you know, horses like Ajinsky, Roberto, all those great horses that he rode. Um, and he would say, I, I would just have a little, be having a little chat with him. And he goes, in his funny sort of way, go, come on, horse, are strong, you're so strong. And I pulled him up before he ran away with me. And he's talking about Desert Orchid, and he has such a good memory. I mean, that was far less important, talking about Desert Orchid, than me, you know, chatting about um, the great horses that he rode. But that's what he was like. Mm. It was just, it was, it was such a thrill to be able to sort of stand there and chat to him. It really was. You know, he was absolutely terrific. In wow. fact, um, go on. I was going to say, there'll never be another Lester Piggott, will there? Never be another one. Do you know, a few friends of ours, uh, Nicole and I, um, have bought into a greyhound, quite nicely bred greyhound, actually, um, out of a greyhound bitch that has uh, won, I think it won the Ledger or the Grand Derby or something. It's very well bred, and we're expecting it to be pretty good, but it's, uh, it's a pup. So, of course, it's an unnamed pup. And the guy that heads the little syndicate texted uh, text me yesterday and said, why don't we call him the Longfellow? Because that's what they used to call Lester Piggott. Yeah. The Longfellow. Yeah. Yeah. So as long as we get this name passed, we're going to call our greyhound the Longfellow and he can get called Lester in his in his kennels. And he's got he's with a trainer who's very well known. He does extremely well with his um, greyhounds. So if he look, I, I'll give you a reminder when the long fellow actually gets to the uh, Greyhound track, if you like. But, um, well, he, yeah, well-respected. What a lovely, lovely guy. He'd better be a winner, otherwise you'd have to change his name. Um, <laughs> that is the trouble. I've done it before, named uh, horses or whatever after after good, you know, 
people or whatever it might be. And yeah. Some of them <laughs> too good. She had to sort of change the name of it. But yeah, no, he'll be remembered for many, many years. Lived in Switzerland for the last, you know, few years. But um, yeah, he, he's just a racing man through and through, as I say, right the way through his family. And you know, his children, as I say. Susan is his wife. She flew out to uh, the other day to um, to Switzerland, I believe. And um, you know, she's from the Armstrong family, and Leslie was friendly with Robert Armstrong. He used to ride for all the Armstrongs. Great Newmarket family, really. It's a proper racing family, you know. Well, thanks, Colin. It's uh, you know, I expect you could go on all day about him, but uh, sadly, we've got time restrictions. But it's great of you to speak about him anyway, and um, you know. Uh, may he rest in peace. Exactly. Yeah. May he certainly and uh, never forgotten. Brilliant, brilliant man. Great, great rider. Thanks, Colin. Well, that was some memories from Colin Brown of uh, his friendship with Lester Piggott. Well, next up, we've got Simon Holt from the Sporting Life with his idea of what's going to win the Derby. Well, good morning, Simon. Um, I suppose the first question to ask you is: uh, In this rather sad week and losing Lester Piggott, did you ever know the great man? <laughs> Not really. No. I once asked him for an interview, yeah. and I got fairly shrift. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. The only time, the only time I really spoke to him. Um, yeah. I must say though that growing up, I mean, he was um, really a, a big part in hooking me on horse racing. I mean, I just hugely admired his riding, and of course, he was the top jockey at the time, and yeah. uh, particularly in the big races, and. Uh, you know, he had such a, an individual style and um, he could be so, so elegant on a horse. I don't think he's ever made winning easy look better. Yeah. And also he could be quite hard on a horse as well as we saw perhaps most notably and most famously aboard the Minstrel when he won one of his nine derbies, you know. Mm. So he had, a, he had a natural gift. Um, he was born into horse racing uh, he was always destined to be a jockey i think despite this the fact that he was always fighting his weight because he was a little bit tall mm. and he practically lived on you know champagne cigars and you know the odd little bit of chocolate you know so, yeah, uh, it was yeah quite an amazing man really and some of the stories we've been hearing in the last week have been extremely humorous and uh, you know he had a dry wit even though he never seemed to say a lot to us media folk. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, he was pretty popular in the weighing room, and, and I think everybody in the weighing room just simply was in awe of him, really. I, th I think you're, 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 you say he didn't say too much. Uh, I had an experience about 20 years ago <clears throat> where a guy that uh, had a stud farm just down the road from us here in Somerset had a horse that... Um, Apparently, it cosmetically, it looked a little bit rough. The horse did. It had some scars on his leg and one thing or another. But in actual terms of fitness, it was fine. Anyway, he got about seven or eight of us from the pub to, to sort of form a syndicate on it. And Re Leicester rode it the first time at Windsor. And uh, they broke. It was only a five furlong race. They broke out the stalls. No sign of this horse at all. And uh, eventually, when he came in, um, Leicester sort of got off the horse and he just sort of went... He wouldn't run, Dick. He just wouldn't run and just marched off. That was it. <laughs> it's just sort of brilliant, really. Because <laughs> we all thought we'd got an instant well, winner with Leicester Piggott riding it. But uh, there you go. That's luck. Well, I, 
at least you had the great man aboard and um because i i had a, a share in a, a very moderate shelly um some years ago and it was at the time when lester was um i suppose drawing towards the end of his career i can't remember if it was one of his comebacks or what and uh, we used to put this um beautifully named uh, apprentice Iona Wands aboard and she was a lovely girl and she never did anything wrong on this filly and her, her name was Avril Etoile and she never won a race but she was placed many times particularly at South and one day I just suggested to the other partners look well look who's making a comeback or, or look who's you know just about to retire can't remember what the situation was I said why don't we why don't we book Lester and I thought, well, this would be a real treat, you know, to have Lester aboard. Mm. Well, the reaction, the reaction absolutely condemned me. They said, <laughs> what? Jock up, jock off, Iona. <laughs> and I was really put in my box. Yeah. So, we, so we never did try, you know. Oh, well. I, thought it would have been a, I thought it would have been a great treat. And who knows, he might have, he might have made the difference because she was, you know, a long-standing maiden and she wasn't very good. But there yeah. we are. Never yeah, mind. It didn't happen. Well, Simon, it's it's kind of appropriate that the uh, this year's derby is being dedicated to to the late Lester Pickett, um, great man that he was, nine nine victories. Um, how do you see it this year? It's it's a it's a pretty big field for starters, isn't it? Well, we've got seventeen runners now. A notable non-runner is Eden, the horse that finished fourth in the two thousand guineas. He's had a late setback, but yeah, seventeen runners. I think it's a pretty strong renewal, Adrian and. The market has been headed by Desert Crown ever since he won the Dante Stakes at York in really stylish fashion, I thought. And it wasn't a big field or anything, but, he, you know, you couldn't really detract any, anything from his performance there, especially as Sir Michael Stout had said that uh, he'd had a little bit of a hiccup in the spring and would come on for the run. And, you know, if he does come on for the run, then, you know, he's got to be a, a major player. He's buying a fat annual who imparts plenty of stamina on his progeny. I think there's every chance that Desert Crown will stay really well. And um, the only thing wrong with him, really, for me, is that he's such a short price. You know, he's seven to four favourite. Yeah. And it's just a competitive enough race to be taking those sort of odds. There are some very good prospects in opposition and I think it's quite significant that uh, the Charlie Appleby team have given a late supplementary entry to Nation's Pride, who's won all but uh, one of his races so far and was very impressive in the new market stakes at the Guineas meeting. This is a step up for Nation's Pride. He's by Tiafilio, who's another stallion that uh, passes on a lot of stammer. I think there's no question that this horse will stay. And a feature of his win at Newmarket, which is a difficult course, particularly when they run down into the dip, was his poise and his balance. You know, he just looked a really beautiful horse and uh, went down the dip on rails, and um, he looked very good that day. He didn't beat a lot, but, uh, you know, he looks a really talented horse. And on the official ratings, the handicappers' official ratings, Nation's Pride is only one pound behind Desert Crown. Yeah. Both of them, obviously, mm. are open to improvement. But Nation's Pride at eight to one, as opposed to 74 Desert Crown, looks a little bit more appealing to me, particularly as the Charlie Appleby team are dominating the Colts Classics this season. They've, mm. they've really been fantastically well. And, of course, they've won two of the last four derbies with Massar and last year with Adair. So they're the team to be with. 
and I just thought it was significant that the supplementary entry was made. Okay, £75,000 is a lot of money to you and me, but um, not so much for Sheikh Mohammed. But I yeah. still think that the horse must have been showing up really well on the gallops to have warranted such a late entry. I noticed then, so course, that Charlie got, Asprey's sorry. got two others as well, hasn't he? Walk of, Walk of Stars and Nahani. He has. Nahani's got an advantage in that he's shown that he handles the course because he won the, the Epsom Derby trial. Uh, I don't think the form is anywhere near good enough, to be honest, but, you know, at least he handled the track. Yeah. And the other horse, Walk of Stars, who was second in the Lingfield trial, well, he looks a, a little bit of a, a work in progress to me, and I think he'll be better in the long run. I just don't know that he's going to be quite quick enough uh -huh. to, to win a derby, personally. Right. Okay. Um, and, of course, the other trainer who's multiply represented, of course, is Aidan O'Brien, who's hmm. won the derby eight times, so seeking to emulate Leicester by winning it for a ninth time. And I think his three contenders are very strong, as, as they always are. Stone Age was very impressive in the Leperstown trial. He never won as a two-year-old, but uh, he was second in a group one as a two-year-old, and he's won both his starts this season by wide margins. And then you've got the two Chester winners, Changing of the Guard, who won on the Chester Vars, and Star of India, who won the D-States. And, well, they all look absolutely cast iron stairs. It's so important over the mile and a half in the derby to get the trip. Typically, mm -hmm. the the non-stayers get to the two furlong pole and then hit the wall. But I think we've got plenty of potential stayers. It's a very demanding mile and a half. The uphill run over the first five furlongs really makes it a, makes it a stiff test. And, uh, you know, any derby winner or most derby winners have really got to stay. In fact, it was probably one of Lester Piggott's greatest rides when he won on Survivor uh, back in the late 60s because uh, Survivor was was regarded as a doubtful stare, but Leicester produced him late with an excellent turn of foot to win the race. It was regarded as one of his finest rides in the derby. So I think we have got plenty of horses in here that will stay. If you're looking for a longer shot, I'd put up Westover, who's a lovely horse trained by Rafe Beckett. And he's a 20 to 1 chance, maybe a bit more. And uh, he really caught my eye when he won at Sandown on his debut last season. And again, when he won the Classic Trial, in April, uh, the form is untested, but he's a horse with a lot of scope, and he and he did have a gallop round the course just under a fortnight ago, and seems to handle it very well. Okay, well that's that's a pretty comprehensive uh, breakdown. I've done Stone Age, and I got sixteen to one when when I was told that it might be a, a good bet. So seven to two now. It might, uh, I've beaten the bookies if nothing else. But, um, well, you certainly you certainly have. I think that sounds like an excellent bet. I mean, he, I, I talked about ratings, and he's actually only a pound behind Nation's Pride and two pounds behind Desert Crown on the ratings. Yeah, yeah. Uh, at this stage of their careers, these horses are all progressing. And, you know, you're guessing a little bit which one is going to progress most. I mean, logically, Desert Crown may have the greatest improvement in him because he's the most likely raced of those three we talk, we're talking about. Yeah. And... He was probably a little bit short when he went to York. On the other hand, both Stone Age and Nations Pride have got a lot of experience, and Desert Crown doesn't. And I know Sir Michael Stout won the derby with Workforce after just two runs, but it is a little bit of a worry to mm. come uh, into such a tough race as this and on such a difficult course that the horse hasn't got a little bit more experience. It's, it's also, I noticed, that, the, uh, that uh, he hasn't got a jockey yet, Neither has Changing of the Guard and neither has Star of India. 
Is, is that significant, well, do you think, at this stage? No, it's just because Aidan O'Brien always pushes the... Um, putting the jockeys or deciding on the jockeys right up to the limit. I think uh, at the time we're having this interview, you know, he, he's probably still thinking about it. Mm. I think he's got until about midday to do that. I would anticipate um, that uh, Ryan Moore would certainly ride Stone Age. Yeah. Um, yeah. The market would certainly suggest that, wouldn't it? Yeah. I'd be amazed if he didn't. Um, but the top jockeys are all there. Um, it's a great opportunity for Richard Kingscote, of course, on Desert Crown. He's never had a, an opportunity like this to, to win the derby before. Last year it was Adam Kirby, wasn't it? Who, yeah, that's right. Who, uh, gained, gained his first uh, derby win. So who knows, two years running, it might be another, um, not a derby rookie, because I think Richard's ridden in the race before, but, but you know, it'll be a, a, an amazing career landmark but all the other usual suspects frankie's come in for the ride on piz badil for donahue o'brien looks a lovely horse his form the form of his win in leopardstown first time that was slightly let down by the runner-up buckaroo in the irish guineas but again he's he looks a really lovely young horse and uh, i just think it's a, a terrifically exciting race and mm. uh, and that's really why I, I, i'm tempted to try and find a bit of value and oppose the favorite while being aware that mm. the favourite could be the one to make the biggest step forward. So, so just to reiterate, then, what are you going to say is going to win it? Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go for Nation's Pride to win it, right? And I'm going to and I'm going to put Westover up at each way, bit right. of each way on Westover. Just okay. and that really, I can't really justify it on on his form, but he is just a really lovely horse, and mm. uh, I think. Uh, he, he is one that um, will improve a lot in the next few months. OK, well, let's hope the race is excited and, and, and you know, suitable to be dedicated to Leicester Pickett because I'm sure I'm sure he's up there watching down and looking to get a good race out of them. Well, and, and the other thing to, to, to note, really, I mean, what an appropriately named winner Nation's Pride would be. I mean, yeah. Leicester was the pride of the country as a jockey. And, of course, you know, we're in the middle of the Queen's platinum jubilee celebrations this weekend so uh <laughs> it would be um maybe it's written in the wind you know yeah, you never know do you? appropriately named horse <laughs> yeah you never know you never know well look thank you simon for that uh we appreciate your time and um let's hope uh, we we've tipped a winner there somewhere well that was the uh, sporting life's uh, correspondent simon holt with his thoughts on the derby and we've got Richard Phillips to come mine and Colin Brown so and Dave Wilson. So we've got plenty more people giving you some ideas for the Derby. Good afternoon, Rod. Thanks for joining us on the show again. Um, first of all, I wanted to ask you, what are your memories of Lester Piggott? Did you ever meet him and come across him? At yes, a little bit. Um, when I was a young apprentice, I led him up a few times. Yeah. And I did ride against him a couple of times as well. Yeah. Um, the first time I ever rode against him, I was riding a horse that had, that had won the time before oh. and was carrying a penalty. Yeah. So they put me on it to take the weight off. Right. And I was in the stalls next to Lester Pickett. Oh, and right. we're in the stalls together. And I, I, I broke this filly and I knew her very well. And she, she, could, she could, could get at the stalls really quickly. Hmm. Anyway, I'm in the stalls and I'm geeing her up in the stalls a bit and giving her food clicks and things, which is the wrong thing to do as I've got. As I've got as my inexperience, yeah. I was upsetting Lester's horse beside me. Oh. So he's, he's, he's sort of, he sort of said, shit still, shit still, shit still, he couldn't speak very well. No. And I looked at him, and obviously I, I was a bit upset about upsetting Lester next to me. I was only 15, 16. Yeah. 
and the stalls open. I got a flyer at the stalls, and I'm clear going into the first bend on the elbow. And I was so worried about cutting Mr. Pickett up, I let him up inside and he beat me. <laughs> well, that's where reputation certainly scored for him then, didn't it? That, that's right. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, he was, well, a wonderful, you know, wonderful jockey. Um, and I led him up several times. And when I started training, he had one ride for me. All right, yeah. So I, I have used him as a jockey. And um, it was um, you know, quite quite a thrill to have him ride for us anyway, you know? Yeah, absolutely. What, what was he like as a person? From, I mean, you know, are the... Are the um... Yeah, uh, well, he, he was he was quite reserved. Yeah. He was quite reserved. Um, and I'd have only been a kid, like, you know, and then when I gave him a ride as a trainer, I was quite, felt quite honoured to put on the horse, you know? Yeah. But um, unfortunately, what had happened, the, the horse fancied his favourite. Hmm. And... Um, He'd been in a ding-dong battle with Padedri in the previous race, and right. he wouldn't have finished for a long way out. And he was totally shattered, he was, you know. Yeah. And um, Miles, ran, Miles made the running. <laughs> and I'm watching the race, think, Christ, he's gone clear. He's never done this before. You know, <laughs> But he faded at the end, unfortunately. But there we go. But um, no less than... One of my most proudest moments to be English, I think, was when Leicester won the Breeders' Cup on Royal Academy. Yeah, yeah. No, that's right. That, he was uh, a tremendous jockey, wasn't he? Tremendous. Yeah, you know, to do that after being in jail all that time, to come back, you know, yeah. not ride for five years, amazing. No, it wasn't. You know, getting getting banged up and everything, and coming straight back out and getting riding is quite 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 bizarre, really. Well, you know, um, he was obviously obviously he was a bit too careful with his money. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Well, may you rest in peace anyway. And let's hope the Derby's a, a real classic race for, in his honour. Right? Yes, well, it's, it's, it's a competitive race. There's a lot of horses with supposedly no chance. Yeah. It's a big field. Big field, you it know. It is, yeah, yeah. What do you fancy? Anything in particular? Well, I would have thought the... Um, it, I would think it'll either be Aidan O'Brien's number one. Yeah. Well, same as Mullins, um, his, his horse could have called well as well, but it'd be a really good race, I think, you know? Yeah. Nice to see Michael Stoke win it, but um, it'd be nice to see this best trainer win it, you know? Yeah, quite, absolutely, because he must be getting close to retiring now, I should have thought, wouldn't he, Michael Stout? Well, trainers very rarely retire, they just die on the job, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, well, I'm hoping it's... it's uh... Stone Age because I've got him at sixteen to one. So uh, have you all? That's right. Then. Yeah, well, I hope so. Anyway, but we'll see. We'll see. But, um, um, I've I've had two runners in the door. I mean, it's quite a thrill to have a runner there, you know. Yeah, I'm sure it is. I'm sure. It, I mean, a bit of the atmosphere and everything around the place must be for. Oh yes, yes, very much so. Yeah, very much so. Um, you got a few runners over the weekend uh, on Saturday. What what have you got out on Saturday? Yeah, we, well, we've got. Well, on, well, on Friday, first of all, we've got Air Show. He he goes again at Path on Friday. Right. Um, always runs always runs a good race. Then I've a little filly, Soy Doi, in the maiden. Um, race looks a weak race, but she's running below her main trip, but it's not a very competitive race. Hopefully she'll run well. Yeah. And then I've got also the residencies in the last race. They ran really well first time out. And but disappointed second time, so he's having a pair of blinkers on, yeah, on Friday. So hopefully, he'll run quite well. And then we've got old Saplato who goes on Saturday to Stepstow. Yeah, he he won the race last year. He's got his own way of racing. If he gets an easy lead, he'll he'd run very well. But he mm. he he he's a bit of a character, Saplato. 
Well, uh, Master Grey goes sometime in the next 24 hours, or th I think I'm right in saying that. No, he's just been, you, you, bit, you've obviously been asleep in the chair too long. He ran <laughs> half an hour ago, finished second. Oh, finished second, because I remember seeing him at Salisbury yeah. when he won um, last year, so uh, mm. that's what attracted me to him anyway. Well, second, that was Well, it. anyway, he's, he was second, he was second, yeah. yeah. Young Oliver Sorrow rode him, one of the yeah. in the yard, second oh. on him. Oh, and he's got a ride on Saturday. He rides um, Princess Naomi in a, in a five-runner race at um, Chepstow. Yeah. And, but she ran very poorly the last time she ran. If she runs as well as she ran first time, she could be placed. Okay, well, it's worth looking out for. Well, thanks for that, Rod. And um, have, okay, a, have a good okay. weekend. Enjoy the derby. And we'll speak to you next week. But now we're going to pop up to Columpton, or down to Columpton, I should say, to catch up with Rod Melman. Some more Derby tips coming up now with our resident expert, Richard Phillips. Well, good afternoon, Richard. The big day is very near upon us. Um, what about the Derby? Absolutely. A really exciting race. Uh, only one of the horses come out um, in the, this morning, which is Aiden, which is the horse that finished fourth in the 2000 Guineas. That had a, certainly an outside chance, but that doesn't run, but the others do. So the 17 go to post. Of course, the favourite is Desert Crown, Sir Michael Stout's horse. And the word is very strong for this horse. I mean, the whole of Newmarket knows that Sir Michael really does think this could be another Derby winner for him. He's, he's the greatest trainer in the world, near enough, Sir Michael. He's been around for about five decades. He's trained many a Derby winner. And certainly Desert Crown looks like a horse that's got a great chance. But he's going to be a short price favourite, I think. He might drift a little bit, but he's sort of six to four shot. Mm. And I think that we've got to look elsewhere, really, for a bit of value. As I said on our weekly chat, a Stone Age is a horse to look out for, and uh, we few of us shrewd. He's gone at big prices, but he's now uh, there's been a bit of money for him today. He's the second favourite, Stone Age. Um, I think he'll go on the ground. The ground is good to soft, soft in places. There might be a bit of rain on Saturday, but it'll probably be good to soft ground, and that won't do Stone Age any harm at all. But of course, what you want is a bit of an outsider, and uh, there's a few there that've got chances. Certainly, being the frame. Um, Charlie Appleby's horse, Nation's Pride, has been put into the race. There's a strong word for that horse, I believe. Kieran Fallon, who used to be champion jockey in this country now, rides out for the um, Godolphin Yard of Nation's Pride. And I know that he thinks this could be well be a derby winner as well. Nation's Pride has been um, put into the race at huge expense because they think this horse got a great chance from Charlie Appleby's yard. But um, if you're looking for a real outsider, it's horse for Andrew Balding's called... Hu Yamao, uh, ridden by Jamie Spencer, who likes to come uh, off the pace, as it were. This horse, if he settles, I think just could run on um, at a, he's a pretty big price. He's sort of 100 to one shot. And there's often a, a big outsider that runs on past a few horses in the straight at, at Epsom. And I, I'd go for Hu Yamao to um, possibly get in the frame at a big price at 100 to one. But it's a really open race, a fascinating race. And again, changing of the guard, that way cheap pieces. He's in the Aidan O'Brien camp. He won at Chester, as did the other horse of Aidan O'Brien, Star of India. He also won at Chester. So it's a really open race and um, a very exciting one. And, and some years it's not quite as open as this, but it's got a strong favourite, but there's a lot of horses there with chances. Well, I'm not going to ask you what you're on, because I already know. But, uh, so yes, a little... stone age price, so I do hope he wins, but uh, hmm. I, I hear it's worth for Westover, so it's another horse, I'd say, Westover, Rafe Beckett's horse, I think he believes that will be in the three, I don't know if he'll win, but he, he won the Sandown Classic trial, and uh, Westover could run, run well, but uh, it's going to be a fascinating race, but um, 
let's hope it's a, a great one. But Stone Age uh, will certainly add to the piggy bank should he get his head in front. Uh, well, I hope so, because I'm on it as well as you. But I didn't quite get the price that you got. But still, never mind. No. <laughs> um, you know, I just hope that the race is, is a classic <laughs> race, especially with it being uh, dedicated to, to the late uh, now Lester Piggott. Did you ever come across Lester Piggott on your, on your travels at all? Uh, uh, I certainly was lucky enough. You know, they say you should never meet your heroes, but my God, was I glad to meet mine. Yeah. Um, boy, being brought up near the Epsom Derby, uh, I used to walk to the start of the, of the Derby start and see Lester Piggott within a few yards of me. And to him, to us, he was God. And uh, when you met him, he's a wonderfully charming, cheeky, chappy with a great sense of humour. And um, he was just so different. He's a man of few words in my respect, but my God, uh, his riding spoke a million words and he was undoubtedly the greatest jockey there's ever been um but possibly the greatest sportsman of all time because in effect he starved himself for 50 years mm. and i don't know any other who starved himself for 50 years his discipline was extraordinary his mental strengths and his physical strengths were extraordinary and to come back from having retired to win breeders cup and royal academy was one of the great spo sporting moments um of never mind a decade of a century and uh, Leicester will never be forgotten. And uh, this year's derby has been run in his memory, and quite right so, because there will never be another Leicester Piggott. And, of course, he rode nine derby winners, and um, he was quite simply the best ever, but also a great man in many respects. And although they joked about his, his love of money, um, he was very generous with his time with people that people will never know about. Hmm. Um, certainly jockeys who are having bad times he would be the first to support them and I know that for a fact and uh, he, he was a great man in respects of course he, he had lovely wife Susan and lovely daughters in Maureen and Tracy and of course Maureen is married to William Haggis yeah. and I know less an enormous amount of satisfaction out of seeing William Haggis and uh, Maureen be so successful in their careers especially recently so um, the Piggott name goes on it will never be forgotten well, thanks for that uh, that tribute, Richard. That was very nice. Um, um, yeah, we'll join you next week, I expect. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the tips are coming thick and fast now, aren't they? And it's time now to catch up with Dave Wilson from Harlequin Racing and see who he reckons for the derby. Well, good afternoon, uh, Dave. How are you? I, I can guess where we're going today. Yeah, we're going off to the derby for the day. Uh, off to Epsom. And uh, obviously we've got the big race of the year for the flat season, uh, the Epsom Derby over a mile and a half. Uh, we'll just uh, have a quick recap on last week. We had two big 16-to-1 shots, which came second. One got beat three quarters of a length and one got beat half a length. It was rather unlucky not to hit a nice yeah. price winner last week. Indeed, weekend, she but, would have been, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, uh, you have to do it so this yeah, week then, won't you? Well, that's it, yeah. We moved forward, got a couple of big price shots that we like. So we're going to start. We're going to go through the card at Epsom. So we'll start with the two o'clock race there. Okay. And the horse that we like is Sweeping. Going to be ridden by Holly Doyle, trained by Archie Watson. One win from seven runs is what his form card reads at the moment. Uh, now, thing to note is this fella doesn't want the going to get too soft, and a little bit of a weather warning at the moment. We might have lovely weather today and Friday and early part of Saturday morning, but from Saturday morning onwards there could be a deluge of rain mm -hmm. so you've got to keep an eye on some of your horses that you're going to be backing on Saturday if uh, that rain does come and uh, 
dampen the ground down and make it go from good to soft to soft or from good to soft, whatever it's going to go at the moment. It's a little bit unpredictable. Even the Met Office can't say what's what the weather's going to do. So uh, mm. obviously I keep an eye on it for the racing pigeons and see where we're going to be racing and uh, what sort of weather conditions we have. But yeah, yeah. obviously Saturday isn't looking very good and neither Sunday. So uh, oh, great. there we go. <laughs> Never mind. Anyway, back to sweeping. Yeah. Uh, he finished fourth in last year's Chesham Stakes at Royal Ascot. Now, he was only four lengths behind Pont Lonsdale of Aidan O'Brien's. And uh, the horse that was in third that day, who he was only uh, a head behind, Great Max, is a uh, 105 rated horse now. So, obviously, Sweeping's got some form in the bank, but he hasn't come out and shown too, too often. But we know he can run, and his last run this season, well, sorry, his reappearance run this season, he was only three quarters of a length behind Yonathis, and he was giving him seven pounds. Now, a line of form through the second favourite in this race, Mr. Big Stuff, he got beat a length and a half by Yonathis, and he was getting six pounds off of Mr. Big Stuff, uh, Yonathis, that day. So, obviously, Mr. Big Stuff and Sweeping are very much handicapped to be finishing around about the same sort of place. Now, we've got 12 to 1 about Sweeping, whereas uh, Mr. Big Stuff's about 5 to 1 shot. So, I think taking a bet with Sky Bet, who are paying five places on the race, is worth having an each-way bet on Sweeping now. Okay. Moving down the card to the 2.35, and the horse that we like here is Potapova. My favourite jockey, Ryan Moore, takes the ride, not, and <laughs> Sir Michael Stout trains him. Uh, uh, last time out, this fella comes second in a photo finish to Roman Mist. Now, Roman Mist is re-opposing in this race, but the point of fact that we've noticed is Potapova was towed, well, not towed off last, but was last by... Not not a great distance, but came through and was only beaten ahead. Now, given that was his reappearance and Michael Stout's horses normally take a good run to get them going, I think Possipova will certainly reverse that form with uh, Roman Mist. Now, the thing to note in that race as well, the, the, set, the horse that finished one place behind Possipova was My Astra, and that's come out and won a listed race by 12 lengths. And the horse that was in fourth that day, Lola Showgirl, She's come out and won the Chartwell Phillies at Lingfield, which is a Group 3 race. So, obviously, the form stacks up with Roman Mist and uh, Possipova. And, as we said, Possipova comes from a mile behind Roman Mist to only get beat in a photo finish. And I think if you run that race 10 times, Possipova will probably win it 9 out of 10. So, uh, we're going to side up with Possipova at 130 with Bet Vic at the moment. And uh, we rate her one of the good bets of the day. So, that's a 2.35. Well, I don't want to disappoint you here now, Dave, because I know you do a lot and put a lot of effort into this, but Roman Mist is a hot-to-trot horse, so therefore he's my horse. And I'm going to tell you now, he's going to bloody win. So, you know, don't get excited about it, right? Roman Mist for me. No problems, sir. <laughs> we'll agree to disagree on that fact and we'll have to see what the outcome actually says. Yeah. yeah well, don't you worry. I shall wind you up if he does win. <laughs> doing the write-up. Yeah. Good. 310 yeah, now, then? No problems at all. Down to the 310 and one of them bloody foreign names, Mutasakeb or whatever it's bloody called, Mutasabek. Yeah. Number five, you Jim mean, Crowley's don't you? Mount. 
Yeah, that's it. Jim Crowley's mount, trained by Charlie Hills. So uh, he won nicely on his seasonal reappearance up at first in a very high class, class three condition stakes. And he followed that up. He was second to Lights On. Now, the thing that we've noted is, is alcohol free was a length and three quarters behind him in that race. And then next time out, alcohol free was only five and three quarter lengths behind Bade. So if you take the literal form lines through there, Mr. Quebec is only four lengths behind Bade. And if you put Bade in this race, you'd certainly back him to win by more than four lengths. So uh, the favourite in the race is uh, modern news of the Godolphin team. And he's got some pretty average form, really, I think, for an even money shot in a race. So we're definitely going to side up with uh, Mutter Sebeck at 130 with William Hills, and we're going to have a nice win bet on him there. Okay, fine. Now, moving down to the 345, this is the Mad Dash race. Uh, it's one of the fastest races that you'll see in the whole of calendar year. Uh, five furlongs downhill from Epsom, and uh, it's literally stalls open, eyeballs out, and just go. <laughs> and uh, we like the chances here of uh, Mockertil. Now, Harry Davis takes the ride. Now, Harry Davis is worth every ounce of a professional rider, and he gets a £5 claim here still because he's not rode all them winners to lose his claim yet. He's lost his £7 allowance, and he's down to a £5 allowance, which will certainly be gone very shortly. Uh, Ian Williams trains this horse. Now, his course and distance record is raced at Epsom four times, and he's won three of them. Now, he got beat in this race in 2019. He finished 14th, I think it was, and he only got beat three and three-quarter lengths in 14th place. Uh, obviously, the race wasn't run in 2020, or he didn't run in it in 2020, and then he came out and won it in 2021. Now, he's priced up at 10 to 1 with Bet365 at the moment, with five places on offer for the each-way terms. And I think that is absolutely tremendous value, especially with Harry Davis taking the ride. But as I say, it is a, it is a nice race to watch, and it is literally eyeballs out, go. And if I, can, if I don't take a breath before we get to a winning line, they're going to win the race. But those that take a breath seem to have a little bit of a store. Uh, we'll, we'll see. I should look forward to seeing that one. Yeah, it's a cracking race to watch. Uh, moving down to the big race of the day, the 4.30, the Derby. Now, I personally really like the chances here as Star of India. Uh, there's no jockey listed for him at the moment, trained by Aidan O'Brien. He's had three races to date and he's won two of them. And the only time he got beaten was in the 2,000 guineas at Newmarket. Now, he looks every inch a mile and a half horse. So, obviously, that takes care of why he got beat over a mile in the 2,000 guineas. Now, he come out in the D-stakes, which, uh, which is run up at Chester over one mile two, and he won that very nicely. And, again, he looked like if it had been another four, three or four furlongs, he would, have, he would have absolutely just bolted clear of them all. Now, he's 14-1 to one with Sky Bet at the moment, and this is the bet that we're suggesting. They're paying six places on the race. So if he finishes in the first six, you're going to win money. Uh, other firms have got him priced up at 16 to 1, but they're only playing four places on the race. So we're taking the side swerve and going with the extra places on offer with uh, Skybet. So uh, 14 to 1 star of India in the derby. At the moment, he's 16 to 1 with Skybet. Oh, no, sorry. I oh, tell he's a lie. Out, no, no, I tell a lie. It's Paddy Power. I thought it was Skybet for a minute. Uh, but it yeah. has got a jockey now. It's Shamie Hefferman. 
yeah, it's a shame we haven't going to be Ryan. He's a very good jockey. He's won the Derby before, so uh, yeah. one of Aidan O'Brien's uh, top riders. So that's uh, even better. Good. Okay, Star of India then for the four thirty. Moving down to the five fifteen, uh, we've got to keep this one a little bit quiet. We don't want everyone knowing this one, but we've heard rumours that Mascat is going to run a very, very big race. Uh-huh. It's going to be ridden by Tyler Hurd, and he's trained locally by Joe Tizard. Mm. Now, for Joe Tizard to have a flat horse running on Derby Day is rather unheard of, so they wouldn't be going up there just for a crack. And uh, we think that, well, we've heard it is in sparkling form at home at the moment. And uh, he had a run at Epsom for the Tizard team when Colin held the licence, and he only got beat ahead running off of a handicap of 85. Now, his handicap mark's gone up one pound, but Tyler Hurd is a five-pound claiming jockey. So he's actually going to be running four pounds below the mark where he run at Epsom, where he only got beat ahead in a handicap round there. So we know the, the horse likes the course. We know he's well handicapped for it. And we've heard that he's uh, really in good form at home. And he's priced up at the moment 17-2 to two with William Hills with four places on offer. So we're going to suggest having an each-way bet on Muscat in that 5.15 race set. I bet you can't guess who I'm going to ring when I finish talking to you. <laughs> would, his, would his name begin with Kizard? Or it might do, yeah, it might uh, do. Joe? Yeah. <laughs> It'd be interesting to see what Joe says about him. So, it will, uh, yeah. We've heard that he's in good form and we've heard that he's got a good chance of winning that race, so uh, it'd be interesting to see what Joe has to say. It will, it will. Okay, anyway. mate. Moving on to the last race on the card, the 5.50. Now, we're going with uh, a 10-to-1 shot again in here, full authority. It's going to be ridden by Holly Doyle and trained by Jane Chapel Hyam. Uh, now, this horse has been with David Amira, Sir Michael Stout, Richard Fahey, and he's now moved over to be stabled up with Jane Chapel Hyam. He's had five runs for the yard under Jane Chapel Hyam, and he was rated 92 when he was with Sir Michael Stout. He's now running off a handicap mark of 85, so he's been dropped half a stone. And off of this handicap mark, he finished second for the current connections, and he was only just beaten in a race at Ascot by Celsius. Now, he looks well worth having an each-way bet on him at 10-1, to 1, and there's five places on offer, again with Sky Bet, who are paying the extra places on the Epsom races this weekend. So... Uh, I'd have a look and see there, but we're going to have a nice little bet on some of them as well, the big priced ones, and put them into a into a multiple bet there. So you've got sweeping at twelve to one, Mockatiel at ten to one, Star of India at fourteen to one, Muscat at seventeen to two, and Full Authority at ten to one. And we think that'd be well worth having a little multiple bet on the each way shots there, and uh, hopefully we get a couple of winners, and maybe one of the others uh, get placed to make the bet up. So uh, we'll have to wait and see. But okay. that's what we're going to be looking at for the weekend ahead, mate. Okay, Dave. Thank you very much for that. Let's uh, let's hope you've uh, you've you know got the uh, got the right ones out there, and um, yeah, if the weather's let's hope the weather's not going to suddenly completely drench them all and muck up the you know they yeah. go in to the extent that it, it disrupts the race that would be a pity but um not yeah, much you, you don't you don't want a wet surface of a horse derby it's if this weather can just hold out until after the derby yeah, and yeah. i don't care what it does on sunday then no, you get the oaks no. on friday and then the derby on saturday and uh you you want the good going and the nice weather and maybe the best horse win you yeah. don't want it coming down to like a mud bath thing 
the Blackpool donkey coming through from the back of a field goal. Yeah, so uh, hopefully we'll uh, hold the weather off. But no problem. Oh. Okay, mate. Well, okay. good luck with everyone's bets and uh, hope you have a good weekend. Thank you, Dave. See you soon. Well, we always try and keep the best for last. And, of course, in this case, that's our Colin Brown. And he's going to join us right now, direct from Epsom. Well, good morning, Colin. You finished your safari then. You're back in Blighty. Oh, back in Blighty. I'll tell you what. Um, as we, we go back Thursday night or early Friday morning, should I say, at about 2.30, 3 o'clock. And up at 6 and uh, across the Epsom now for the two-day Meeting here, of course, and uh, looking forward to the derby on Saturday. The Kazoo Derby, uh, in memory of Leicester Pig at Group 1. No geldings, uh, a lot of prize money, fantastic race. It really is. So what do you fancy for it? Uh, more to the point. Well, do you know, it's a graveyard for favourites. I think the last favourite to win the derby was Golden Hall back in 2015. So it is a bit of a graveyard for favourites. Um, and Desert Crown's a favourite um, this time, though. Uh, Sir Michael Stout has won two or three derbies. Three, I think, uh, in the last few years. Um, a couple of them written by Kieran Fallon. And I think one of them in these colours. Um, but Desert Crown in this uh, Sayed Sahel colours. Hasn't had a lot of experience, but he won the Danton. He won at Nottingham. It's by a horse called Nathaniel. You know, I don't think he'll be far away, but he is a very short price. Um, the horse that I quite fancied earlier in the week, and I think we spoke about it on your flat pro uh, on your program last week uh, when we were talking about the flat racing, was uh, a horse called Eisen, and he's now a non-runner. So, what do I fancy <clears throat> for the Derby? Well, there's a couple of horses I think that have got exceptional form. And chances. Um, one of them, obviously, being Stone Age, trained by Aidan O'Brien. But, you know, I don't think they can make up their mind what they fancy in the Derby, to be perfectly honest. That's why they bring so many horses over. But I would think Stone Age is probably the horse that's got the biggest chance. In, you know, he was a winner of the Derby trial at Leopardstown last time out, easily from glory days. So that would be the one horse that I would fancy a lot there. But, I mean, you have to you have to look at horses in the race um, like Charlie Appleby's Nation's Pride, who, uh, you know, won a nice listed race up at Newmarket by seven lengths. He looked very impressive that day. And, you know, uh, no stranger to winning the derby here at Epsom in, uh, in memory of uh, Paul Lester Pigger. I mean, Gosh, all the years that Lester came here and won the Derby nine times and all the years that he was here as a guest. And, um, you know, it seems unbelievable that, bless him, he's not here with us this year. Mm. But now I'm going to... I, I, I do fancy um, Nation's Pride. I think that's got a really good chance. And Nahani's at least had a taste of the ground here at Epsom, having won the Blue Ribbon trial here in listed rates back in April seed. Have to, have to appreciate him. And he's Badil, um, a winner last time at Leopardstown in the Ballysack Stakes and Buckaroo, would have a big chance as well. Frankie Dettori rides that. So, what I'm going to say is, let's go for a bit of value in the derby because often a bit of value wins it. Number nine, Nation's Pride. Number 10, Pease Badil are my two 
against the field. But I do respect, obviously, um, Desert uh, Crown and also Stone Age. They have to be great, greatly respected. But I'm going to go for the 9 and 10 in the Derby this year. Okay. Interesting choice. Yeah, they're goodish prices each way. Yeah. I think Mary will be on them anyhow. Yeah. I think Mary will be on those two at a nice price. She doesn't like favourites. She likes to get it stuck into a nice each way bet. So that's what she'll be doing, I think, Melissa. So, um, well done, Mary. Let's hope you hope you back the winner of the derby. And I hope it's number nine or ten. Put them in, in a reverse exactor. If they're first and second in either order, you'll uh, cop a few quid. Now, obviously, uh, there's there's lots of other racing going on tomorrow, um, and yeah. you usually have, have had a look at it and come up with a few suggestions. So uh, uh, I gather we're going to Musselburgh first, are we? I think that's where we'll go, Musselburgh. That's the uh, that's the track I like to go to next. Um, there's a horse running in a cellar there, meaning that if it wins, it has to go up for public auction. And it's called Stolen Glory, trained by um, David O'Meara. I think that will win the 2-11 at Musselburgh. But there is very good racing up there. You know, it's, uh, it's some top-class racing up there. And I was talking to um, Carl Burke earlier in the week, actually. And in the Heineken Cup, the Heineken Silver Handicap, should I say, 246, he runs a horse here called... Alzea, and uh, is a winner on uh, the all-weather a couple of times. It's quite a nice type of horse. Sam James takes a ride. I don't think this one will be far away. So that's Alzea. Um, it, it was only six hours in last time out, but um, just got in a little bit of trouble there. But I don't think it'll be far away in our 2.46 at Hamilton Park. We've got the Scottish... Musselburgh, you mean, don't you? Not Hamilton Park. Muscle, no, that's where this horse ran at Hamilton last time out. But oh, yeah, right. no, at, at, no, 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 my mistake. At, uh, at Musselburgh. But now on to the 321. This is a sprint. You need a bit of luck here, but crikey, they go pretty fast up this straight here. And um, there's a couple of horses here that I think got big chances. Um, one of them is called, and he's running it before, I don't think he's won it, but he's been placed in it. And he's called Dan Zeno. Such a great horse. He's course and distance uh, winner. And um, Appleby takes, uh, trains him. Oshin McSweeney takes five pounds off him. He's 11 years old, but I tell you what, he's as game as a pebble. And I don't think he's going to be too far away out of all three. He'll be out like lightning and not too far off the pace. So Dan Zeno up at um, Musselburgh in the 321. Right, we will move a little further south, business, if that's okay. Mm -hmm. And um, Kazoo, I think you buy cars from Kazoo, don't you? You do, um, I think, yeah. Kazoo, yeah. yeah. Well, they're sponsoring up at Doncaster, and there's some pretty good racing up there at um, Donny. And uh, I would think it's a place that they, um, you know, that we can find a winner or two, hopefully. And the horse I quite like um, in the 231 at Donny's horse trained by Scott Dixon, so he trains just down the road. There's a horse called Socialist, and um, it is stepping up a little bit in class, but it was a good winner last time at Pontefract on fast ground. It stays a trip well, 
Um, before that, it was uh, fifth at, at um, Catrick. But I don't think it'll be far away. And it's called socialist, um, sociologist, should I say, sociologist number six in the 231 at Doncaster. <clears throat> right, well, we've been talking about um, Appleby's horses. And uh, it's sad to see jockeys like Jamie Spencer, who know Epsom so well and ridden so many great winners around here, uh, running at, you know, riding at Doncaster on Saturday rather than having to ride in the Derby. But there we are. He rides a horse called New Comedy. I think we've tipped this up before for your listeners in 306, and that will win at Doncaster. 306, New Comedy, ridden by Spencer. Um, Kieran Fallon's another jockey that uh, it would be good if he was down at uh, the Derby track, Epsom, riding a winner. Uh, trying to ride a winner or two, but no, he is at Doncaster. He rides on school Mig Dam for Sir Michael Stout, who of course has got the favourite for the Derby. And Mig Dam, horse number three, runs in the 341 at uh, Doncaster, and I don't think that will be far away. One other horse I fancy at Donny, and he was a good winner at Doncaster on just soft ground in the middle of May. He wasn't an expensive horse to buy. But he's got some pretty smart form, and he's called Abu Malek, and he runs in the 4.16 at Doncaster. Daniel Muscott takes to ride on this horse. He's got top weight, but he's owned um, he's, he's owned by a really good uh, supporter of racing, Sheikh Abdullah Al-Malek Al-Sabah, who actually I was having a drink with the other day from there for Ascot, not name-dropping, but um, I've got to know him a little, and um, he's a very nice gentleman and uh, loves his racing. Uh, Kevin Philippart DeFoy, good trainer in Newmarket, <coughs> trains it. And I think that a winner is called Abu Malek. I don't right. think you've, you, you haven't looked very hard at that race, have you? Oh, go on then. You've got something. You always come up with something. No, quite good. one of mine. Down the bottom, number seven, Dorothy. Oh, Dorothy runs to see. Oh, my God, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, there's old Dorothy with a double E on the end. Yeah. Charlie Fellows. Yeah. And possibly you have horses live. Well, there you go, you see. That's hot to trot for you, isn't it? So, that um, is hot to trot. So yeah. two, two runs to Wolverhampton, third, then seventh. Yeah, hasn't so, done much um, so far, but um, yeah, we live in I hope. I think it would be better off in handicaps. Yeah. I think it would be better off when seen in handicaps. But it is well-bred, related to Deacon Blue and the Tin Man. So, yeah, I can see where you're coming from, Dorothy. Mm, but we'll see. We live in hope. We live in hope, Cole. Yeah, no, no, I quite agree. <clears throat> right, where should we disappear to next? I think we're going to probably get down to... Um, I think there's just one at Chepstow that I fancy. Let me see if that still runs. I haven't double-checked that it still runs. Um, there we go. Sit tight, sit tight, as we say. Um... Down at Chips. Yeah, here, here it is. It's trained by your mate, uh, Rod Millman. It's called Sir Plato. And it oh. runs down at uh, Chips in the 705. Do you know anything about Sir Plato? Well, funny enough, we did mention him yesterday. And uh, he was saying that he's a funny old character. But apparently, if he, yeah. gets, if he gets in front, um, then yeah. there's every chance he'll stay in front. But it's obviously yeah, up to I've the jockey to. 
it's up to the jockey to get him in front, of course. And um, you know he's not been pulling up that many trees lately. Uh, you know he's had a few seconds. No. Um, yeah. So yeah, could have a chance. That's for sure. Yep. No, no, I quite fancy him. I think he's got a little bit of a chance there. Right. Let's get down to the big one down at um, Epsom, and um, you know down at Epsom, they have the Derby, they have the Coronation of the Oaks, but they do have a few old handicaps which are pretty hard races to try and fathom out as well, and um, you know horses with. Uh, you know, some quite big fields down there for a couple of the handicaps. Um, let's see. The first race on the card is at two o'clock. Um, there's a horse here that ran a good race at Ripon the other day, and it's trained again uh, by by Carlberg. There's only just beaten it. So it's where the car early in the week. And he thought it would run a big race. It's called Taj Alola. And that runs in the two o'clock course number eight at, um, at Epsom. He's a big price. I think Sweeping has got a big chance in the race as well. Holly Dor rides it, but I think Tajaola has not without a chance in this uh, competitive uh, little event. Second race on the card. Gosh, this is a really good race. It really is. It's the uh, race called the Princess. Elizabeth States and um, being the Jubilee weekend sponsored by Kazoo, it's a group three from Mayors and Phillies um, I think you'll find that Haggis will win it with a horse called Bash Karuva and this was second at Goodwood at the end of April it was only beaten half length by Mrs Fitzherbert of Huey Morrison's um, and I think it just needed that run that day so I don't think that will be too far away Probably the main danger to it could easily be same colours. An horse called Potter Pover, who's well-bred to Michael Stout, uh, trains it for the Chiefly Park. And that was second at Kempton in a decent race. Before that, um, it was a bit disappointed with Donny, but um, I think it's between those two. So, number, well, number Might I interject two, again? Of course, you've got a runner. <laughs> yeah, Roman Mist. Um, a big he, chance, six to one. Tom Ward's won on the all weather last time out. Yeah, he's 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 had a he's had two seconds in a first. He's good horse, good horse. I reckon he's got okay. a chance. Um, all right, let's go for Roman Miss. Then we'll get rid of the old uh, the tips I've just given you for the because um, he's a nice each way chance, and I think those Phillies races are quite hard to try and um, tip the winner. So yeah, <coughs> Roman Miss, I can see where you're coming from. I think you know he could have a big big chance. Yeah, he's run well so far, that's for sure. So, uh, again, we live in hope. We certainly do. We're going to the Diamed States. Diamed, of course, is a very good horse that won here at Epsom numerous times. And there's a horse called Modern News. Uh, we've spoken about him a few times, you and I. And uh, I think he's the one that will win this. He's only about 11% favourite, but I think he's going to be plenty good enough to win. So, uh, Modern News for the Diamed handicap and then at 345 listeners we've got a race called the dash and there's over five furlongs they come out of the stores and they get up to about 50 miles an hour downhill and most jockeys you know are thinking well i'm riding in the derby i don't think i want to take a ride in that a lot of them won't take a ride in the dash and i don't blame them so what wins the dash well it's a pretty tricky old race um but 
a horse that was second at York the other day called Sunday Sovereign, trained by Denise today, I think. It's probably got a good chance here. Second to Illusionist, only beaten the neck. Uh, looked like it was all over for it as it uh, came inside the final 50 yards and only for Illusionist to come and nab it on the post. But I think it can win today. I really do. The other horse in the race that I could like a little bit is a horse called Tony Barone, number eight. He's a horse that I always think, thought was pretty smart. And um, the trainer, Stuart Williams, he does well with this sort of horse. And I think Tony Barone has got a good chance of getting in the three at about 20 to one. All right. Well, we've spoken about the Kazoo Derby in memory of the lovely, lovely, late, great Leicester Pickett Group 1 race, this one. Um, and what a race it is. There's the crown, the favourite, we're about 15 to 8, he's strong. And the second best in is Stone Age at around about 72. But as I say, I am going with Nation's Pride and Peace Bad Deal uh, here. Um, and if you want something at a real big price, don't be surprised if Raw Patronish didn't just finish in the first three because he's also won over the track. He hasn't run too many bad races and he could just be <clears throat> one that could just go and run a massive race here. He did improve when stepped up in trip, albeit beaten three and a half lengths by Desert Crown and the Dante, but it's pretty good form at 33 to 1. He's a big outside chance. So Give it a go, listeners, and enjoy your weekend. Let's hope you back plenty of winners. Well, thank you, Colin. That's uh, a nice, uh, nice few horses there. I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll find some winners amongst those. So uh, you've got a busy day ahead of you now, and, and tomorrow, I take it, as well, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're very busy, yeah, very busy. I've got like a 1,000 people in the market and a couple of boxes of the to do, as well as 200 people in a restaurant. So I've got plenty of talking to do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well... Have fun, that's all I can say. <laughs> I certainly will. And you have a great weekend, Aidan. And listeners, take care and we'll speak to you next week. Yeah, excellent. Thanks, Colin. Well, that was Colin Brown up at uh, Epsom, getting ready to work hard today. But, uh, you must have enough tips now for the Derby to be either absolutely nailed on one of them or completely confused because you've got so many tips. But hopefully one of them will come good. But our Collins zip round the Derby field has brought us to the end of the show. So thank you for listening. Make sure you have a good weekend. And uh, join us again, same time, same station, next week. Good night. Mm-hmm.